first. The scripture passage will be in Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to turn there a while. Before we read that, let me mention to you, next Sunday, as every Sunday now, we have Downstairs Doctrine. It'll be the same thing in both hours. It's Pastor Jason teaching you all, whichever hour you come to, go to that one hour, come here in the other hour. Whichever hour you go to, Jason is teaching on the subject of particular redemption. So I encourage you to show up for that one. It's going to be good. We're in... Uh, the book of Hebrews, as I said, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. Please give heed as it is read for you. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Anybody here this morning want to consider Jesus? Yeah, we're going to consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if, indeed, we hold fast, hold fast our, our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews 3, 1 through 11. Bow with me, please, and we'll pray. Father, thank you for this time in your holy presence, this time in your word. We come to give glory and honor, worship and praise to you, God the Father, in the name of God the Son, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. And we pray, O oh Lord, that this may be a day of saving grace for people gathered with us and for our young ones downstairs. Have mercy upon them, O oh Lord. Draw them by your word and your spirit to the cross, where they may repent and believe and find life. We also pray that all of us who are believers, we have called upon your saving name. Thank you, Lord, for this means of grace that we now have getting into your word together. Oh, make us better Christians. Make us people who bring more honor and glory and blessing and praise to you, our God and Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here is a sermon title for what we're looking at in this text in Hebrews 3 today. We're calling it Hold Fast, subtitle, Eternal Security and the Perseverance of the Saints. Eternal Security and the Perseverance of the Saints. We're looking especially in chapter 3, verse 6b. Let me put it up for you again. Here it is. And we are his house if, if indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This is about holding fast to Jesus Christ. This is about not letting go of Jesus Christ. 
It's about not leaving Jesus Christ for anything else because he is better. So do you profess faith in Jesus Christ? Good. Hold fast. Don't let go. To illustrate the idea of hold fast, some friends of ours in this church have a motorboat. And they asked us, I believe it was last summer, hey, you guys want to go for a ride? We'll stop somewhere for dinner. We'll dock it somewhere, go in and have dinner. It was a great night. We had such a good time with them. Such a beautiful place to have dinner right on the water down near Essex. But uh, especially on the way home, and it was after dark, and the water was really choppy, and we were going kind of fast, fast, I don't know how fast, 45 knots maybe, something like that, what do I know? Felt fast. And so we were doing a lot of this, boom, 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 boom. And I, I could tell that my bottom is leaving the boat by more than an inch or two. I'm really, you know, I'm losing it, and then bam, losing it, and then bam. And so the manly man that I am, I grabbed a hold of things, and I hung on. I don't think I had white knuckles, but I was definitely hanging on because I did not want my bottom to leave that boat and drop into that water because it was dark and cold and rough and I didn't want to be there. I wanted to hang on. That's just a little illustration for what this text is about, what this sermon is about. So we can, make, we can even use the bumpy part. Life is rough, right? It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. There are persecutions. There is an unusual number of you right now who I know are suffering because you're talking to me and I'm meeting with you and we're talking about it and you're suffering in your life. And you're even, some of you, one guy in particular is really being persecuted right now for his faith in a terrible, terrible way. Cornerstone people. And so what do you need to do? Well, one of the things you need to do is hold on to Jesus Christ. So this is about, let me use these terms, I put them up there. This is about eternal security and the perseverance of the saints. Now, what is eternal security? That is, these are two sides of one coin, and that is the thing seen from God's side. That is what God does for you in Christ. That is what God does for us in Christ. He makes us, he renders us eternally secure. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give them, give unto them everlasting life and no one shall pluck them out of my hand. The father who is greater than me, greater than all, gave them to me and no one shall pluck them out of my father's hand. You're in the hand, it's like an egg inside of an egg, the nesting eggs. You're in the hand of Christ inside of the hand of the father and nobody can get to you there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, that's from God's side. It's eternal security. And a lot of you, maybe, some of you at least, have come from backgrounds where you heard about eternal security. Good, because it's in the Bible, many, many places, and it's true. But you never heard about the flip side of the coin, which is the perseverance of the saints. So, yes, we have eternal security, but we also read in our Bibles that the saints will hold on, that the saints will continue, that the saints will abide that the saints will keep on believing and keep on repenting. And that is the perseverance of the saints. It's the thing seen from our side of the coin. We hold fast. We do not walk away. So both eternal security and perseverance of the saints address the question, can I lose my salvation? That's one way to put the question. And the other way is, will I ever stop following Christ? And the answer is, if you are truly in the Savior, no. He won't stop holding you, and you won't stop holding on to him. And you'll hear those wonderful words at the last day, enter into the joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
So can I lose my salvation or will I stop believing if I'm truly regenerate, if I'm a true believer? And the answer of the Bible is a very definite and very unequivocal no. You're eternally secure. God keeps you. Peter says, you who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. You're kept by God's power. You're eternally secure, and you will persevere. You will hold fast. You will do both of those. Before we get into the text and start to unfold this, let me just, let's take a little tour back in church history. You want to do some church history? Church history is really useful. Church history serves a number of purposes. One of them is it serves as a quality control on our own interpretations. So you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that Christian who says, just me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit. That's all. I'm, just me and my Bible. Well, yeah, you're quite capable of error. We need some cognitive humility that says, you can't trust just me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit. I better find out this thing I think I'm seeing in the Word. Has anyone else in all of church history ever seen it? And when everybody else in all of church history has seen it, you're on pretty good ground that, yeah, what you found in the Word is the right thing. And when nobody else has seen it, you're not on very good ground. Let's do some church history, and we're going back to 1689, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And they write in chapter 17, paragraph 1, about eternal security and about the perseverance of the saint, saints, and here are their words. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, that's Christ, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. That's what they found in their Bible. That was a whole gathering of the best theologians and teachers on the Baptist side. Well, what about the Presbyterian side? Well, they wrote theirs first. That would be the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's almost the identical exact verbiage here. All the Presbyterians found that. And all the Baptists found that in England in the 1600s. Well, almost all. All the ones that, that were right. <laughs> oh. Begging the question there, Steve. Back to Hebrews. We're going to verse 6. Hold fast. It, we're, we're his house if we hold fast. But we're going to work up to that. The author works us up to that first. And let me give you a subheading that kind of covers what we work up to that verse with. Here it is. He's saying hold fast to Jesus more than you do to Moses. Or we could have put it, hold fast to Jesus. He's better than Moses. He's superior to Moses. You remember what was going on. Why would that be? Why is he going to do that for five and a half verses? Because they were thinking, man, life is rough as a Christian. Life was easy as follower of Moses. I'm going back to Moses. I'm going back to the old covenant. I'm going back to the law. I'm leaving Christ. Later in later chapters, they trample underfoot the Son of God and they count the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified as common. So that's what they were doing. So he's going to tell them, hold fast to Jesus. Don't go back to Moses. Hold fast to Jesus. He's superior to Moses. Hold fast to Jesus more than you held fast to Moses. Let's jump in. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers. He's talking to the church. Not everybody in that church will be genuinely saved. Some of them will think they are and they are. Some of them will know they're not and don't want to be. There's always a mix of people. But he addresses the whole assembly this way. Therefore, holy brothers. He's talking especially to those who are the children of God through Christ. 
He describes them another way. You who share in a heavenly calling. Oh, I like that. What do we do? What do we share? More than we share a common interest in fishing, more than we share a common interest in cars, more than we share, I need something for the ladies, common interest in knitting, more than we share a common interest in food, we share in a heavenly calling. We've been called by the gospel, and if you're in Christ, you've been effectually called by the Spirit of God to believe savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to heaven because of his grace. We share in a heavenly calling. There are earthly callings. Suppose uh, there are different ways we could define it. Suppose you get a call and say, hey, you're, you're invited. Doesn't that Christian radio station do that? You hear people, on, I rarely listen to radios, but, but they say, hey, you're going, you want to go to the concert? You just got free tickets. Am I right? They do, yeah, okay. So that's a call. What if a bunch of us shared that call? We all got to go to the concert together. That'd be cool. This is better. This is a heavenly calling. And so he says, to you holy brothers, to you who share in that heavenly calling, here's what he wants us to do. Here's the imperative. Here's the verb. Consider Jesus. Well, we like that part, don't we? We like him. We love him. He's our Savior and our Lord and our God and our King. We love to consider Jesus. Sir, I would hear more about Jesus. Good. He wants us to do that. Consider Jesus. What's he want us to consider? Well, he starts off here. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's the apostle. The Greek word is angelos. It means messenger. God gave him a message. He faithfully brought it down to the planet. He faithfully brought it to his people. He proclaimed the ways of God to his people. He's an apostle and a messenger. By the way, that angeloi, we get the word angel, angeloi, angelos, singular, angel from that. Angels are messengers. What do they do? They carry messages from God down to his people. They carried the law down to Moses. They helped in the delivery of the law to Moses. But Christ is an apostle. He is the apostle. And he is the high priest. A high priest, this is a quiz, according to the order of what? Melchizedek. That's going to come later in what book? Hebrews. He is our great high priest. What does a priest do? Well, they offer up offerings to God on behalf of the people. What was his offering? He offered up himself. The best and final offering. No more offerings are needed. He's our great high priest. And he's our great apostle. Apostle and high priest. As high priest, he offers himself. And as high priest, what else do high priests do? They intercede in behalf of the people. And Christ ever liveth to intercede for those who have come to him. So if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he is the apostle and high priest of your confession. What's your confession? I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior, my Lord, my God, my King. His shed blood was, atoned, was atonement for my sins. You, that's your confession. So consider that Jesus. He's apostle. He's high priest. We confess faith in him. What, what else do we consider? Hebrews 3.2. Who, Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him. Who's that? Who appointed the Son? The Father. Christ was faithful to the Father who appointed him, the Son, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So they're saying, I'm going to leave Jesus. I'm going back to Moses. He's great. He really was great. He's like the great in the Old Testament until you get to John the Baptist and Jesus says he's greater than all because he introduced Christ. 
but the magnitude of revelation given to Moses, the magnitude of experience he had, 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, sustained divinely by God, no food, no drink, twice parted the Red Sea, delivered manna to the people, etc., etc. The, the magnitude of the signs and miracles and wonders and deeds performed by Moses, no one in the entire Old Testament even begins to compare till you get to Jesus Christ. Moses was faithful to him who appointed him. Was Moses faithful? Man, he was faithful, except for that one time. But, you know, the overview of his life is, we're going to discount that one, he was faithful. There was that one time where he got mad, took his stick and hit the rock, said, you rebels. God said, eh, sorry, you don't do that in my holy presence and get away with it. Now you can't go see the land. Serious penalty. But discounting that one for the moment, taking the overall of his life, Moses was faithful to the Father who appointed him. And so was Jesus. Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. So they're both faithful. How was Jesus faithful? Well, my, in so many ways. But let me just give you one quick summary verse, John 6, 38. He says, for I have come down from heaven. That phrase appears again and again and again and again and again in the Gospel of John. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Sent me appears again and again and again and again and again in the Gospel of John. I came down from heaven, the Father sent me. And here, and I came to do not my own will. Jesus didn't have a little private will apart from the Father's will. They're one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he came to do the will of the Father, which was also his own will, which was also the will of the Spirit. And he was faithful in that will. All the way down to staring into the cup of the wrath of God and saying, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he drank the cup to the dregs, absorbing the wrath of God meant for sinners like you and me. So Jesus was faithful. You think of going back to Moses? You're pressed with Mo Jesus was faithful. And let's see what comes next. Hebrews 3, 3 through 4. For Jesus has been counted worthy by whom? God the Father and the people of God. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. All right, you're thinking of leaving Jesus to go back to Moses. Guess which one has more glory? Yeah, it's Jesus. Why would you leave Jesus to go back to that? Why would you leave greater glory for lesser glory? What glory did Moses have? Well, he was up on the mountain, and when he came down, you remember, there was a glow. He had like some of the Shekinah glory of God all over him, and he glowed. But after a while, that glory was disappearing, and what did he do? He put a veil over his face. Why did he do the veil? So they wouldn't notice the glory's fading, and maybe start to discount him. Ah, he lost the glory. God's not with him anymore. No, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. How much more? As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Is that true? Like if we take you somewhere this afternoon, it's going to be a beautiful day, 65 degrees and the sun is shining, and we take you somewhere to see a beautiful house. I'll tell you what, just how about we go to Bel Air and see the Lyrodendron? You've been there? That's good. Some of you got married there probably. You had your wedding rehearsal there, or your, uh, your, your, what's the thing afterward? Reception, thank you. 
Let's go see Liradendron. It, it was a doctor at Hopkins way back when who was a brother in Christ and a Christian. He wrote gospel text. He, he built that place. Anyway, I'm getting off. So let's take you to Liradendron and you say, wow, what a cool house. This house is amazing. Do you glorify the house? Do you say, oh, house, thou art amazing? No, you say, who built this thing? Who's the architect? Who were the builders? And you say to the architect, wow, man, what you planned. You say to the builder, what you put up there, that's amazing. You glorify the builder, not the thing. That's what he's saying. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. How much more? As much more glory as the builder has than the house itself. That's a lot. And what he's really saying, too, is Moses worked in the house of God and was faithful. Jesus made everything. He made the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And already in chapter 1, we saw that the creator of all things is God the Son and Father and the Holy Spirit, but the Son was active. Now, let's go some more about Moses and Christ. We're working up to, we're getting near verse 6 now. Now, 3, 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, except for that one time. But here he's going to add this. He's going to draw one thing out of the whole life and ministry of Moses and say, this is one of the most significant things, and look what it does. He was faithful in God's house as a servant. Notice the word servant, too. They're going to contrast that. Christ is the son. He was faithful in all God's house as a servant. And what did he do? To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Now what's that? That's Exodus chapter 18, where Moses said to the people of Israel, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like unto me. Hear him. You're going back to Moses, but Moses points you to Christ. That prophet like unto Moses isn't Jeremiah, isn't Ezekiel, isn't Malachi. It's Jesus Christ. What are you going back to that prophet for? He's pointing you to Christ. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to Christ, the things that would be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. You have a servant and you have a son. The son is above the servant. So he's exalting Christ over Moses. And he's mentioned the house. And now we get to our verse, Hebrews 3, 6b. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are his house. We are. He's building a house right now with living stones. You're one of them if you're in Christ. He's building a house, a habitation of the Spirit of God. You're part of it. You are one of, you're a living stone individually. You're part of the whole house corporately. We are Christ's house. If, there's an if, there's a conditional clause. What's the condition? If we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. If we hold fast, this is a major theme in the book of Hebrews and even elsewhere in the New Testament in the Word of God. Hold fast. Hold fast. I want you to notice if you're a Christian, you are commanded to do something. You're commanded a lot of things. The one right here is you're commanded to hold fast. 
I want you to notice, please, this is something you do. It's something that you actively do. It's not something you passively do. Well, I'm going to let Christ hold fast for me. I'm going to let go and let God. No, it's not that at all. That's nowhere in the Bible. There are duties God gives you by which you contribute to your own perseverance. Not in any meritorious way. Holding fast does not earn you favor with God. Holding fast does not earn you merit with God. Holding fast in no way contributes to your salvation. Otherwise, you could get to the last day and we'd say, how do you get here? And you'd say, well, I held fast. Why didn't they get here? Well, they didn't. Now, now it's become a work, and you have, you have a boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But you won't have any boast. Holding fast doesn't contribute in any meritorious way to your salvation. That's the blood of Christ plus nothing. But holding fast is a fruit of a regenerate heart. This is what, when God does something for you, saves you, applies the blood of Christ to your record, cleanses you, washes you. He also does something in you, always infallibly in you. He regenerates you and makes a, you a new creature in Christ. And his seed, John tells us, 1 John, will remain in you, and you cannot sin, meaning the sin of apostasy, meaning the sin of walking away. You can't do that. You won't do that. So we are his house if indeed we hold fast. Major theme. I want to show you how major. Can you take a whole bunch of quick references? Thank you, Laban. Love you, brother. Hebrews 3.14. For we have come to share in Christ, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 4.14, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 6.11, have the full assurance of hope until the end. doesn't use the words hold fast, but it describes the thing. Hebrews 6.18, hold fast to the hope set before us. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hebrews 10.39, we are not of those who shrink back. Doesn't use the words hold fast, but there's the opposite. If you're not holding fast, you're what? You're shrinking back. You're a shrink back Christian. Not a shrink wrapped Christian, but a shrink back Christian. You're shrinking back. We don't do that. If you're the real deal, you won't shrink back. The Hebrews were shrinking back. I'm not so sure about Christ. That's brought persecution. Life was better with Moses. I'm going back to Moses. They're shrinking back. People in our day are shrinking back, not to Moses, but to all kinds of something in the world, some philosophy, some sin. Very often it's some sexual transgression they want to shrink back to. People are shrinking back. 12.1, Hebrews 12.1, let us run with endurance. That's holding fast. That's not shrinking back. Endure the race that is set before us. It's a major theme in the book of Hebrews because it's an important theme in your life. So important it comes up elsewhere in Scripture. Let me show you a few examples quick. We're going to go with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, 15, 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Guess what comes next? If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. And if you don't hold fast, it's this. Unless you believed in vain. You can believe in vain, and then you're not really saved. You're believing. You're intellectually consenting. You're professing something about Christ. Maybe you got baptized. You've been in the church. 
and all that, but you believed in vain. What does vain mean? It didn't accomplish anything in you because it didn't go in deep. The Spirit of God didn't get your soul and your heart and your mind and your strength. You haven't been regenerated. Paul does this again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, this is wonderful, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's what you are in Christ. If indeed... You continue in the faith. What does the word indeed imply? It means you might appear to, but it might not be indeed. It might not be in truth. It might not be the real deal. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. Jesus said something very similar in John 8, 31. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Here's this word again. Indeed. You can be disciples in name only. You can be disciples outwardly. You can be disciples in appearance only. But you're not a disciple in terms of a regenerated heart that truly has saving faith. It's the same thing in John chapter 15, by the way. That word continue, it's the Greek word meno, and it's used again and again and again and again in John 15. If you abide in me, some Christians go wacky on that and say that means some deeper level of Christian living. There are Christians who don't abide in Christ, and there are others who abide. No, abide just means stay there. If you don't walk away, if you don't leave Jesus, Revelation 14, 12, this is the perseverance of the saints. That's a good term because it's right there in the Bible. Don't be objected to it. Good term. The perseverance of the saints. So the author to the Hebrews is telling us in chapter 3, here's what I really want you to do. Consider Christ and hold fast to him. He's better. Better than anything. Whatever you want to put in the blank, he's better. Name it. He's better. Consider Christ, your great high priest, the apostle of your confession, and hold fast. Don't let go. Keep on repenting and keep on believing. This is the perseverance of the saints. How about another trip back to 1689? Anybody? You want to, uh, let's go. I like that. Thank you. Let's go to 1689. This, we're in the same chapter, 17. This time we're going to paragraph 3. Here's what it says. Here's what they found in their Bibles. And though they, believers, may through the temptation of Satan and of the world and through the prevalence of corruption remaining in them, sin remains in you. You're not 100% holy. There's still remaining sin. You've got to deal with it. And through the neglect of means, the means of grace, of their preservation, they may, through those things, fall into grievous sins. Grievous sins. Is that true? Can a true believer fall into a grievous sin? And they don't lose their salvation, not if they're a true believer. You can't lose your salvation. But can they fall into a grievous sin? Who's the poster boy for that in the Old Testament? Yeah, David. And yet the overall judgment of God was he was a man after God's own heart. But right then he wasn't. Isn't that wonderful how God in grace discounts what happened with Bathsheba, discounts even what happened with Uriah? And says, he really was a man after my own heart. So, true believers may fall into grievous sins. By the way, 
we're in the new covenant and we have a greater measure and a greater power of the Spirit of God. So don't be falling into things and saying, well, David did. Now you have more of the Spirit of God. And what else? And for a time, for a time, they may continue therein. Yet shall they renew their repentance. And yet shall they be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Church history, the quality control in our own interpretations. Are we finding in the Bible what they found in the Bible? We are. So let's make this clear. Salvation is by what? Grace. Alone through faith. Alone in Christ. Alone. I love you. Good job. Plus nothing. Amen. So Nothing I do, taking up the means of grace and operating with them so that I will persevere, contributes one bit to my salvation, right? No merit in that at all. But it's fruit of what a regenerate soul that loves the Lord Jesus and has the Spirit of God will do. And eternal security, that's what God does for those people. And perseverance of the saints, that's our side of the coin. That's what we do in response and by the Spirit of God. And we hold fast. Let's go on. So Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, here's an Old Testament quote. Here's what God said to his ancient people who were hardening their hearts and grumbling and complaining, and they were not united to God's truth by faith. He says to them, therefore, if you hear his voice, when you hear the word of God, you're hearing God's voice. They heard his voice. You're hearing his voice. Today, they're today and you're today. If you hear his voice, is God's voice speaking into your soul? You need to come to Christ. You need to believe in him in truth. You need to be a believer and a follower indeed. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. They wandered around in the desert for 40 years and their dead bodies dropped in the wilderness, the book of Numbers tells us. And only the second generation got to go into the land. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. That's God's summary judgment of Israel, not like David, not like Moses. But Israel, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They did not. They did not go into Canaan, and they did not go to heaven. Lacking saving faith. Don't be like them. Don't go back. Again, to us, the temptation is not to go back to Moses. Nobody's going back to Moses. Well, some people are. Going back to actual Judaism, I can think of one I've known. But if we're leaving Christ for something that, some glittering thing that looks better, it's probably some current philosophy of the world, some error of the world, some sexual revolution thing of the world, some gender revolution thing of the world, some critical theory revolution from the world, some versions of feminism from the world. Don't be taken captive by those. Instead, take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. People go back sometimes because they've got hard thoughts about God. God didn't give me what I've been praying for, and I really want it. 
What did you think the arrangement was? Did you believe on the Lord Jesus so God will give you everything you want? That's not the deal. That's not the promise of the gospel. Hold fast, man. What will help me to persevere? I mentioned this earlier. Now let's spend a little time on the, the extraordinary but ordinary means of grace. They're ordinary, but they're extraordinary. What has God provided for believers to sanctify them? How does he enable us to walk the Christian walk? Well, he, he gives us some things that theologians have called the means of grace. What are they? They're very simple. Number one is the Word of God. Number two is prayer. Number three is the ordinances, baptism and communion. Classically, it's been those. Those have been the big list everybody has had down through the years since the 1500s. But, of course, we're in Hebrews, and in chapter 3 and in chapter 10, one of the big means of grace is also godly and edifying and strong Christian fellowship right? Exhort one another daily and so much the more as you see the time of his return approaching. So we're to take up those means of grace. The Christian life is not to be lived passively. I'm just going to stop trying and let Christ live through me. Well, good luck. Because he tells you to do things. So you're battling a temptation. Find portions of the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit that will stick that temptation right in its throat. One of you wrote me this week. Actually, I don't think he's here today. I don't see him. One of you wrote me this week and said, Pastor, I'm, uh, I'm really battling a temptation. There's a guy who has treated me really badly, and I want to do something to him. He actually said, I want to slice his tires. What should I do? And I wrote him back and said, well, don't slice his tires. But I gave him a couple of scripture passages and said, if you will at least read and meditate on these, better. You want to go one game higher? Memorize and meditate and pray over and work these into your soul. One is the passage where vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't you take vengeance, I'll do it. And the other one is where the Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, bless your enemies, pray for them, do good for them, that you'll be like your heavenly Father. He, that was days ago. He wrote me this morning. We've been in touch a few times. He wrote me this morning and said, that's the passage, the Matthew 5 one, that has really helped me. Every time I start getting angry thoughts about him and vengeance thoughts about him, I remember, no, I want to pray for him, and I do it. And bless him and do good for him, that I may be like my heavenly Father. The Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God in your soul is powerful. It will change you. So how am I going to hang on? There's a busy devil and a luring world and a deceitful heart. How am I going to make it to the, to the finish line? How am I going to make it to my death or the time when the Lord comes? By taking up the means of grace. And if you're really struggling, you need more. You need a deeper. You need to push it in more deeply into your soul. The Word of God and prayer and fellowship with godly and edifying believers, and by these we hold on. So hold on. I plan on being at the last day. want to see you all there. In closing, number one, hold fast to Jesus Christ and do not be pulled away by the philosophies of our day. That's what's catching most people in our days. They're letting go of Christ for something that they think is better. You think that's better? The sexual revolution? You want to affirm that? And that's better than Christ? The gender revolution? You want to affirm that? That's better than Christ? Radical feminism? You want to affirm that? And that's better than Christ? 
No, hold fast to Jesus Christ and do not be pulled away by the philosophies of our day. Please, number two in closing, in his holy word, God gives you things to do fa- to hold fast. What are they? They are, I just said, they are, what? quiz, what are, what's the first one? The word of God. What's the second one? Prayer. What's the third one? Fellowship. Godly and edifying fellowship. I'll take all the ones you mentioned. We need them all, all right? God gives you things to do. It's not passive. That's not how we live the Christian life. The Christian life sometimes calls for plucking out eyes and cutting off hands, metaphorically. Take radical measures. Don't try to fight a small war with the temptation you're faced with. Launch a huge war. Nuke it. Cut its throat. Wrestling metaphor. Pin it to the mat. The Christian life is not passively, I'm just going to let Christ do this in and through. Well, good. He's in you and he ought to be working through you. But he gives you things to do. Hold fast. Use the means. Number three in closing. And you can and should help others to hold fast. We'll see that when we get to Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. Exhort one another. Let us consider one another to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So you ought to be thinking about other believers when you're going to go get to be near. How can I stir him up to love and good deeds? How can I help them hold fast? You know that right now there is an unusual number of you who are really suffering in some situation in life, and I'm aware of it. I'm really burdened by a few of them. One guy in our church is absolutely really, really being persecuted for his faith right now and is suffering terribly. How's he going to hold fast? You can help him. Well, you don't know what it is. But you know somebody. And you be the means of grace to them so that you stir them up to love Christ, to good deeds, the means of grace. James chapter 5 says, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways saves a soul from death. You be that person. Hold fast. Bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of your word that teaches us these things. We who are your blood-bought children bless you and thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we may hold fast, that we may remain, that we may continue. O Lord, strengthen us and give us grace that we may not be lured away by shiny, foolish things in this world, that we may esteem Christ above all and hold fast to him and be found in him in the last day. Lord, there are probably people in this room who are not in Christ, who don't even make any profession. There may be others who outwardly profess Christ, but really in their soul don't know him. We pray for both of those groups. O Lord, have mercy upon them and draw them savingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Would you like to talk with a Cornerstone pastor? And I kind of hope some of you would, because I'm sure some of you need to. So I hope you'd like to talk to a pastor. We can make it real easy for you. How can you get in touch? Just text the word pastor to the number up there on the screen. One of our pastors will reach out to you this week. When you text the word pastor to the number on the screen, make sure you check your inbox. Because sometimes we write and then we don't hear back and we wonder, did it get to them or what happened? So check your inbox, check your spam, keep an eye out for a pastor who's writing you. Usually we have your email address, we're writing you. We'd love to help you to hold fast to Jesus Christ. Amen. Stan, please lead us in communion, brother. All right, thank you, Steve.
We are to hold fast. Good afternoon, everyone. As we approach the table of the Lord today, I pray that the Spirit of God would give us an abundant heart of gratitude. It's easy to forget the magnitude of the redemption that is ours and the extreme hopelessness of our condition. We have to remember that. Communion should always remind us of the greatness of our salvation. If you are a believer in Christ, we welcome you to join us at the table of communion. If you need elements, you can find them in the back of the sanctuary. Today, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. And as we read, I want you to note the things that Paul exhorts us to remember. And then I want you to note what Christ accomplished through his death. So Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. That was us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what we note is our condition before the Lord Jesus Christ died to save us from our sin. And we had two men, Jews and Gentiles,